Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everybody. If you don't know, which you should know, I'm a co-host of PPN Knightsbridge, second Tuesday of every month. So please check when the next event is. Send me a DM and I would love to see you there. We have had 170, 80, 60 people there at the last few meets. So it's not too big, but it's big enough that you will meet a wide range of people. Uh, In addition, today's podcast is about development and land and planning. Richard has been in property for 44 years, which is a very long time. So we speak about some of the market changes he's seen, some of the challenges, the way in which he works with planning departments and how we can all better how we do our planning. We speak about planning uplift. We speak about, you know, what do you do when it's not a rising market and how do you make money in a non-rising market, if that's at all possible in Richard's opinion. We also speak about why you shouldn't do development. Now, you don't want to hear that. And this is one person's opinion. Doesn't mean it's fact, doesn't mean it's gospel. But if you're considering development, then you really need to listen to this because Richard talks about some of the losses he's made in business from developments. 28 grand, 47 grand, 100 grand, uh, having to walk away from things. Um, And the many, many challenges and the amount of money you put in to potentially get, you know, a project not going ahead and the amount of time it takes to actually then get paid back from a project. So his many years of experience and his wisdom, shall we call it, will prove very valuable if you are considering it development. Please do leave a review on iTunes or Facebook. They are the only places you can leave it. On Facebook, it's the Tedge Talks podcast. On iTunes and the podcast app on Apple, it's the Tedge Talks podcast and you can leave a review there. I had the most reviews of any property podcast in the UK and I haven't been going for all that long. So I am so grateful for those of you who have left it already and thanks in advance to those who are about to. Richard Little, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Ah, Thanks, Tej. Nice to be with you. Thank you very much. And uh, I think the original way that I found you was through Facebook, which I think connects a lot of people in property, at least initially. And then... I have seen your posts for a good few months and what I really, really like about them and for everyone listening who follows you already and who is about to follow you now will know is that you post a lot of like realism. You know, you you post quite insightful posts that get good engagement, but more importantly, they get people thinking and they also hopefully show people who are maybe new to property like the realities of property um and the realities of say doing biggest things like land deals or planning uplift or you know doing things that are are spoken about maybe with a bit too much ease i think you come along and you kind of say look well this is my experience with it this is how we really found it And, and you're kind of sharing it with everyone which i really appreciate and i know lots of people do but before we get into all that property and all that good stuff, can you tell everyone, you know, what was Richard doing before property? Uh, let's go. 
<laughs> um, I, I sort of so yeah so um, uh, I did uh, resist the family business to an extent when I left school um, I wanted to join the Navy took, I got I got uh, I got selected to join the Navy I was going to be a naval airman one of those people that dangling at the bottom of a rope and anybody that sees me now can't imagine that but anyway um, I, I was too impatient I had to wait 10 months to go so I didn't do that got a job in the office uh, and because I didn't want to do the, the family business thing because you've got to prove yourself, blah, blah, blah. And after two years of that, getting bored silly, then it was, you know, in 1976, it was, you know, getting on site with dad and, you know, the teams and various things. So didn't do anything, uh, anything really much before that. Hmm. And your family business was property. Yeah, so Dad started the business. Uh, businesses, it's been in various businesses, partnerships, collaborations over over the years. He started that in the fifties, late fifties, something like that. So you know, it's 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 uh, as Brindley would say, as as my son, so third generation. It's sort of in the DNA to an extent. Um, so, but you know, yeah, if I didn't like it, I probably wouldn't have stayed so long. <laughs> and how long have you been in property then? Uh, they tell me it's 44 years almost so yeah yeah and and uh, yeah i hate to think of it as 44 years because that's obviously older than most of the people listening to this <laughs> uh, and, and and it's like you know um but yes it's it's, it's been a long time so you have sort of witnessed the market sort of many times over and go through many many changes so like how you know from, from when you first started to to where we are now what are some of the like biggest changes you've seen um, well, I suppose so, so. Principally, we, we, we've always been at the sort of uh, new, new build house type, house builder type end of the market. So, um, biggest changes, uh, I, I, I guess, really now there's more and more people doing it. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think more and more people involved in development. Uh, and uh, I think that's the that's the biggest thing that I've actually seen. Uh, the other thing I've probably seen is, uh, um, um, in a way, a move away from consultant-led type projects. Um, but it, but to be fair, when we started, when I started in the seventies, um, consultants played their part in every project. But they then tended to be developer-led. But through the eighties, nineties, and the noughties, consultants took a bigger grip on on property development through through you know legislation, rules, and all this sort of stuff, and new surveys and all sorts of things you have to do. So there was more more consultants. There was more of them, and they took a bigger hold. And 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 for me, that's that's been a big change. But uh, and, and I spend a lot of my time wrestling that back and trying to show people how to wrestle it away from the consultants. We need them. We love them. Not all of them, but we do need them. Uh, and, and it's all about managing them. But, yeah, a bit, big change in the amount of, of time taken, certainly pre-construction, pre-site um, with consultants. And, you know, it just takes a, you know so much longer now. People talk about the planning process. The planning process has always been a mess if you look at it from that perspective. And it's easy to sort of say, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. It won't be great when they change it, if they change it. Well, they will change it, but it still won't be great. It's actually embracing that for what it is. But it's certainly become, um, I'll probably say, uh, too many third parties are allowed to have a say. That's probably uh, not really what people would like to hear, but that's that's the that's the biggest the biggest sort of change from that perspective that I've seen uh, and and probably one of the one of the biggest um, delays um, to to projects really is is, is that amount of third party um, stuff that we allow hmm. would you say it's harder now than it was then or is it just different in in general oh good point uh, good question um 
I, I suppose I'd have to say it's just different. Uh, it, it's in some ways it's easier now um, because uh, I, I guess there's there's more opportunity for those that know how to find the opportunity, so it's easier. Um, that said, it's harder now um, because we have to go a lot further. Um, you know, I mean, years ago and sort of, you know, we started or where I started into got into the business in the seventies. You know, we we were based in Hertfordshire, so most of our projects would be Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire into North London. So never more than an hour or so away. I mean, we've now got projects um, where you know, yeah, I've got one business um, with a number of projects that is you know four to five hours away. Uh, so 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 that's changed. So you know, um, so. Yeah, it, it's 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 just the the challenges are just different ones, I suppose. There's always challenges in life, regardless of what business sector you're in, I guess. Yeah, and how has your strategy changed over 44 years, if at all? Like, are you you, know, you started in new bills with with the family? Has that then sort of continued all the way through, or did you try different things, or yeah, how did your sort of strategy evolve over this time? Uh, very boringly, not. Um, it's it's been, always been about new build. Um, we've done yeah, you know, we've done plenty of conversion projects. Don't get me wrong, but we, our, our core has always been uh, new build. You know, we 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 anticipate. We don't know exactly, but we know we've we've, we've uh, completed in excess of three thousand homes, uh, and we think around about ten percent of them only were conversion projects. So it's still quite a few. Um, but um, so the, the 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 core strategy has always been new build homes. Uh, and that's already changed. The way that we're doing it now is, is, is changed. Uh, you know, it's had to evolve. You know, um, I guess now um, land used to be somewhat easier um, to 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 get hold of because there um, there were less people that would buy the local land or whatever. You know, and and we would often collaborate with other local local builders. We used to be called builders, house builders. We weren't called developers back then. Um, we used to collaborate with each other, um, and we might invest in in another in a competitor's uh, project, and they probably invest in ours. That's sort of how it worked, and and actually at some levels it still works like that. Uh, but that's probably a whole discussion for another day. Um, but um, you know, it, it's it, it's just now that we we have to go wider, uh, further to 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 find those opportunities. Um, you know, we 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 can't we can't we can't just stay local. You know, I've, I've got a friend of mine that sort of at the minute, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's managing to do quite a bit locally, but he's getting to the point now he wants to grow and he can't grow locally. So he's got to go further, further afield. Yeah. Mm. And I, I've read one of your Facebook posts recently that said you spend, I think, something like 70 to 80 hours like working when you're in the UK. My question is, there's a lot of people get into property to, you know, financial freedom, time freedom, whatever you want to call it, basically just to potentially not work so much anymore you know why are you still working that many hours is it because you love what you do so much um largely yes uh and and i don't know anything else to be honest I, I've, I've, I've tried different things over the years golf and different things like that but nothing nothing um nothing i don't know gives me the right challenge um as as, as a, i can get from work if you like you know so i i choose to spend those hours i don't have to spend those hours um you know so um and, and i think i like being i like being part of part of the sector 
um and, and a lot of to be fair i don't really call it work a lot of it you know even sort of you know recording this with you it's not really work is it you know not for me it's you know but if i clock them up as hours then yeah it's 78 hours but i would say uh, three quarters of those are really enjoyable um uh, hours every week but you're you know and everybody gets some hours where it's a bit of a slog and i'm probably very fortunate more fortunate than most that my hours are probably you know 10 12 15 20 hours some weeks where it's a bit of a slog but it just has to be done so really i've got a part-time job really i might say 78 hours but i only really work part-time okay tell me about your best deal that you've done ever (laughs) um and if you can remember give me all the figures as well let's get into that deal um, well, okay. So the, the challenge, the challenge there is, I, I have no idea if I go back very far what some of those, what some of those uh, deals um, are. I suppose, or the numbers, or anything like that. We've done, you know, pro- projects from one unit up to a hundred-ish units, um, and I have no idea. I remember we sold some houses at, at thirty grand once, and 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 we were making about thirty odd percent on them um you know but and that that was quite a number of properties but that's not really that's not really specific enough so we'd have to be a little bit more modern really i suppose a little bit more more recent i guess um and uh for me to be able to remember it so uh let's say so we want something that we've exited rather than something that we've still got on the table um let's have a think right okay yeah so um we uh did a actually it was a conversion project uh, which is against it but it was it was not my favorite project by any means but it's one i can remember and, and it's my favorite because we're now out of it um so it was something we were looking to do something quite local so we uh we brought this big old building um it had uh all sorts of planning enforcements against it they they, they sort of been run as offices um but it was a lovely old house in fact a massive house but uh and we paid around about 250k for it, something like that. Um, and it, we had it on an um, exchange with delay completion uh, because we needed to sort out the, the legalities of the planning. Um, it was uh, B1 office use, so, uh, but there was no permit development available on it because it, it got enforcement notices and that on it. Um, and so we went through the whole process. Uh, and it, was, it, it, it took probably about the 15 months, I think, on the exchange of late completion. It took that amount of time to get the plan sorted. But we, we, we got on well with the local authority. We knew them anyway. Um, we got them round, got them round to have a look. And so when I say we, that's not normally me, that's normally somebody else. Um, but what we had, what I like about it was, is we took this sort of a mess, a, a, a paperwork mess. The house itself was pretty decent. It was, it was, it was partly used as a HMO, so a really small deal for us in that respect, uh, and ended up as a sort of nine little flats sort of thing. You know, studios really is all that all they were. Um, but we, it was a challenge because of the planning side of things. Uh, the people really wanted out, um, so it was a good deal financially for us as well. Um, and it, we, you know, it was local, which was which was quite which was quite refreshing, I suppose. Uh, we then spent about another six months or so, you know, refurbing it, etc. Uh, and and then um, it was our one of our first sort of. Um, our first sort of journey or part into um into investing because we've always been traders you know this one we were going to keep 
you know, and it was our first sort of bigger, bigger project that we were probably going to keep. Um, and it was, it, it cash flowed at, you know, 60 grand when we got it full and everything else cash flowing about 60 grand a year. Uh, and, and we just didn't like, um, owning a property. So a lot of people that might listen to this are property investors. We did like, I wasn't managing it or anything like that, but it was just there in the back and back of my mind. And, and, you know, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't something that, uh, uh, I, I was enjoying, enjoyed actually sorting the paperwork out and actually turning the house into back a little bit more like, like it should have been, been neglected over the years. Um, and, and we sold it and we made, we made, you know, 50, 60 K something probably on, on uh, as a profit. So not a massive amount of money and it cash flowed quite well for a couple of years, something like that. But it's my favorite recent deal because it taught me a lot about whether I want to be a property investor, whether we want to hold property or not. So it was that sort of uh, actually, yeah, it's ha- it was hands off for me, but it wasn't out of my head. Um, and, 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 you know, so for me, it was a lesson. So I, I learned a lot from that. And, yeah, we are actually keeping property now. But um, that was the one that decided, you know, whether or not or how we should structure it if we are going to keep property. Um, <coughs> so wasn't a massive financial success um as i say it was it it, it, it pleased me on 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 a number of, of more challenging grounds i, I suppose <coughs> excuse me um but the the, the real pl- the, the real pleasure was we got out of it learned a lot and didn't lose money so that's why it's it's probably a recent favorite should i say i don't know whether that that sort of normally fits in with the normal sort of uh guest sort of uh uh, selection of, of, of favorite deals uh, i can do i can do some numbers on some bigger deals but they, they, they have to mean something i think don't they to, to sort of be a favorite yeah and then you know with that you said that taught you lessons and one of the lessons was you're now starting to hold property so what mm. like what were you doing before that and what was it about this deal that you thought oops let's change it up let's start holding stuff um well okay so we're always traded always so we've held we've held property empty for uh um, 15 to 18 months probably the longest um but we always took the the took the the view and it still is the case as soon as you put somebody in it you're losing that nice new premium that you get for new build um um, so much better to keep it empty (coughs) it's a little bit different now with obviously increased costs with council tax and all that we didn't we didn't used to get that too much we didn't get you know it was empty we didn't pay anything so you know it wasn't a problem um but uh uh uh, you know in 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 respect of um changing our sort of thinking i think it was more to do with who we're mixing with i've never been a networker and and we've done a little bit of property training we've had our own training company for a while so for the last five or six years we've been networking in property circles and the large the vast majority of those people are people that hold property uh, and, and in, in some cases held it for decades and 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 the different they're a different beast to me you know in the nicest possible way because if you are a trader and there still are quite a lot of traders around uh, you know in, in the property sector um it, it's a different mentality uh, and and so it was for me for i've got, got five kids and, and and a lot of what we do talk about legacy and all that well a lot of what we do is you know to give some sort of financial stability legacy to 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 the next generation and the, and the generation after that um and 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 they expressed uh, quite a, a, an interest in keeping some and and you know whilst i don't always agree with all the kids you know i'm thinking well if i am doing it for a legacy you should really listen to what they want 
So they actually, there's a little bit of, right, okay, look, we need to build up a portfolio. I'd be quite happy never to actually hold a property again in my life. But that part of that is actually, you know, I'd say, do have to listen to other people. Um, and, you know, I, I think we got carried away a little bit or I got carried away along the lines of, oh, yeah, okay. I, I brought into the, oh, yeah, HMOs, you know, passive income and all that sort of stuff, you know. even So even I get sort of... Uh, uh, um, I don't know what I would say. Uh, I'll, I'll get tempted sometimes. Uh, and, um, you know, and it was like, okay, and we tried that. And we, we still got a property, couple of properties that we, we're still trying to get rid of, really, um, because our, our, our new, the, the only stuff we're going to hold is the new stuff now coming through. We're not going to hold some of the, the existing stuff that we've, we've acquired over the last three, four, five years. Um, you know, we, we, we started some HMOs and turned, uh, we've got two now. Uh, no, they're not HMOs anymore, but we're, we've only got two left that were HMOs. Uh, one of them was turned into a single let and the other one is uh, well, still a single let and they've got a lodger. Um, so, you know, I, too, too much work, too much, you know, it, it, it just just it doesn't work so well for me. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm coming round to the idea of, 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 of holding in the right way with at the right scale anyway it's probably what i'd say mm. and before you mentioned a few things you mentioned you know the planning department planning consultants and like generally the local authority now a lot of people listening to this podcast are potentially and i guess a lot of people i meet are saying yeah you know what i'm doing buy to lets i'm doing rent to rent hmos whatever blah 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 everyone seems to want to get into land Right, buying land, whether it's you know doing a planning uplift, selling it on, whether it's actually then building it and then selling it on or holding it. So, if you know, if you're speaking to my listeners who let's say they have a couple of properties, you know, buy to let HMOs that sort of thing, and they want to get into land, what is your advice or warning um, to them? prior to them sort of like making the move or, or even looking at it, and then we'll get into how they can do that next. Okay. Yeah. See. Uh, well, the first thing is 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 don't think that it's going to be easy. I don't think you can do it with 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 little money. It takes a lot of time and a lot of investment. So investment of time and money to actually source opportunities and 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 take them through. Um, so it's I would say is you've got to go in with your eyes open. Now that's one of the problems is how you get your eyes open because uh, you know mo- most people only listen to what they want to hear. You know, even through the enlightened property sector, if you like, you know, uh, you know, for the networking groups and education groups and all that, they're only enlightened to the point that they actually, um, you know, oh, I agree with that. So that's it. Yeah, that's that's the right thing to do. Uh, so um, it, it yeah, talk to people that have been in the business for a while. Listen to people that have been in the business for a while. They will, if they've got any sense, try and talk you out of it. Um, because uh, you know, if we take if we take if we split land and development into two different things, um, people see land as oh yeah, we can get into that relatively low cost, and and, and there's some decent money even at sourcing, etc. Some decent money, but the whole process is fraught with issues and uh, sharks, if you like, if that's the right expression. People out there that are going to do you over for whatever it is you think you were going to get. Um, and uh, from the development point of view, um, and no stats here, just just sort of, yeah, a lot of years of doing this. The most money we've ever paid, uh, made is out of a rising market. 
Um, most developers that I know, and most is a bit of a, a statement, but most developers I know and have known only made money out of a rising market. In a stable market, many of us would 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 struggle to to even break even. That hasn't changed in my view. Um, only for a few, a relatively small percentage of the people that get into this business actually make money in a steady market uh and and that's what people should think about a little bit is because that that's quite you know that, that that's quite a um uh it should be quite a sort of chilling thing to say really because you know most of the people listening to this and most of the people when i do uh, keynotes and all that sort of stuff most of the people listening to that will lose money from property development they just will you know that's statistically you know and and so it don't go into it really quickly don't you know don't um don't team up with somebody because you think they've got the skills that you haven't without fully understanding the skills that you need i suppose i mean this is this is a i know we're, we're time limited on this Ted, and this is something I, I could talk about for days and and and, and yeah bore people silly about but I, I, I feel really strongly about this. That there are too many people getting into into development and land deals that and, and really smart people. I'm not saying they're not smart, but because they just don't know the tricks in the business or the sharp practices or whatever you want to call it, you know, um, then then they get burnt. And why do you need in development? Why do you need a rising market to make money? How, what are the sort of like the tangibilities of that? How does that apply to the the actual business of doing it? Right. Okay. Uh, nobody's actually asked me that because that, that's a real fundamental question. So thank you for that. Um, so there's, there, there's two reasons. Two reasons for that. I mean, it starts off at the end in so much as most people overpay. Now, and there's two reasons that they overpay. Um, one is because they're encouraged to overpay by the consultant sector. Um, valuers, etc. They will say a piece of land is worth this, and piece. Of... I'll give you an example. We've got a site at the moment um, where the land was valued by the guy valuing for the lender, uh, and he valued it around about nine hundred and fifty thousand. Now um, it's not worth nine hundred and fifty thousand, uh, but we had the devilish own job to get him to come back down to where we agreed in the end at six fifty, because valuing it at nine fifty, it couldn't. We couldn't fund it. Now, we, we, we were working with a landowner, still are working with a landowner, so that, that wasn't really, it was a paper value. But we were working with a value, value, valuer that obviously we paid for, um, you know, um, for, to, just to give the banks, the, the, the lender, some, some sort of more surety over what it was going to be worth. And we had a lot of, I had a couple of phone calls with him to say, look, if you can, if you say, if you insist on valuing it at, uh, at um you know 950,000 which was around about um 20% of of the end value and often that's what they do you know different percentages in different areas um but so we we get this you, you get this problem that if people don't understand quite the business they will go on what the bank valuation or you know the RCS come along and they value it and that's oh well that's not what it must be worth so in the end, they end up potentially paying for that. And even funders, the less experienced funders fall, fall for this as well. That's why quite a lot of them are struggling at the moment. Um, is, is because somebody somewhere with letters after their name, and no disrespect, I know a lot of people with letters after their name, no disrespect to that, but because they've got those letters after their name, we will take that as gospel. 
that GDV, that land receipt, that land value is X, Y, whatever it might be. So thereby we can move forward on the on the with the comfort to know that that's what the value is. So consequently, they end up paying too much for the land. But the system, if you like, allows them to do that and encourages them to do that. And that doesn't work so much with people that have been around a block a few times, been through you know a recession or two, because we know that's not really how it works. And interestingly or not, maybe to, to, to perhaps people that listen, so do the people that are involved in that uh, in that whole process, including the agents, the valuers, you know, the other professionals. They all know how it works, but it isn't spoken about because that's not good for business. So, you know, um, so, yeah, so invariably it is it is because people agree to overpay you know, at some point. And obviously the other reason for that is they're, motiv- they're motivated themselves because, you know, well, that's that. I can I can make it work at that. I'm going to earn half a million pounds or a million pounds or whatever out of this deal. Yeah, great. You know, and the, and the value is saying it's okay. So so the whole thing self-perpetuating in so much as you've got the support, you know, or the, or the um, you've got the assurance from the um, consultants to say, yes, that land is worth that. You can afford to pay that. But actually, of course, when it doesn't quite end up working, being worth that, they've gone, haven't they? They've long gone. <laughs> you know, you, you, they've got nothing invested in it other than a fee. So, and yeah. um, you mentioned it got overvalued and you couldn't fund it then. Why is that a... Because I'm thinking, in, well, I invest in buy to lets and I'm thinking if I got overvalued... I'm happy. I'm getting extra, like extra lending. So for you, why was it a problem? In, in, like for the funding, like why was it then harder to get money from a lender? Yeah. So they, they, the lenders will generally base their uh, lending um, lending limits on on you know obviously certain criteria. So it will be based on cost or end value or something like that. So um, I mean, could could have done it, but you would have had to put more cash in. So effectively taking the risk. But actually, it would have meant finding the best part of another three hundred thousand pounds to put into that, which is then dead money for the two years that the that, you know it's going to take to come out the other end. Um, so it's 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 knowing um, what the lender's criteria is, and I mean, that was that they were, they were mainstream lender, lenders, not 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 anybody sort of you know a, a bit sort of dodgy, if you like, um, you know. So it wasn't anything unusual. So you know they they, they were lending you know a percentage on cost or whatever. Um, so it was it was. Purely the fact that getting the the, the guy to sort of uh, you know undervalue in his opinion, but not in our opinion. So you know when it comes down to you know two sides of the same piece of paper, you know he's not wrong necessarily because he's got a proven method and it's it's accepted within the system and everything else. And yeah, that's what it is. Um, um, but you know, we know what it's going to cost, and that's what the residual re- residual um, you know, number comes out at, and it's three hundred thousand pound different. We've we've had one recently, and it's still ongoing at the moment, where the the value valuation um, they revalued it because we asked them to, and they come down three million on the GDV. They dropped the GDV by twenty five percent. You know, and and that's since just before just before oh, no November time, something like that. Um, and and we and that was a valuation done for a bank another lender you know we knew it was wrong but to get them to accept it and then when they accepted it they came down too far (laughs) so you know so yeah so even when a deal stacks up you know on the spreadsheet from our point of view you still got a long way to go you know and so then moving on like from that 
if if someone listens to that to what you just said and they said you know what um I'm still down I'm still keen to to get into development um we are in February 2020 if someone wants to get into land land development now what kind of steps should they take what kind of tangible things can they listen to you saying today and get cracking on to then get into it or to build up to getting into it okay yeah so you know the 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 the, fir- the first thing that people throw out there is courses education and all that sort of stuff um uh, and, and and for the people that um have got what it takes then they can go on any one of a number of courses that you know maybe of you know some of the stuff's probably not good that they put out there some of it's a bit rah-rah if you like but if you're the type of person, you'll just take the fundamentals from that and you'll learn from that, you know. Um, so, yeah, have a look, see what courses are out there and, 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 and go and, uh, and and see what they've got, what they've got to say. But you just don't sign up to any ongoing mastermind mentorship type programs because they might be what you need but you will sign up to them at the point when you don't know that it's what you need or it might be the wrong one for you. Um, I mean, there's any number of, 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 of people to offer you know, um, mentoring and all that sort of, you know, wrapping it up in different ways. Uh, for me, it's got to be somebody that's been in the business or their team have been in the business for at least one full economic cycle. So they need to have been in sort of pre-2009. So they need to have been in the business 10, 11, 12 years or somebody that within that within that organisation does that actually you can listen to. Because it's not just because us old fogies that have been around a long time, everything we say is right, because it isn't. But, but the, the blend of the enthusiasm um, and, and passion and experience if you can get the blend right fantastic um so so have a look at what courses there are and um, yeah books taken with a pinch of salt uh, we produced a very very small book uh, the little book by the littles i suppose it is so it's it's a it's all it's all the basic facts um you know that that you need all the basic knowledge but it's not enough to be a developer it's not allowed to be a land promoter it's not enough to you know you need a little bit more but it it, 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 you know got a little bit of reality in it or a lot of reality without any of the fluff i suppose you know not nothing against the books that got fluff in i'm sure they're enjoyable reading but i i i i my my time's much more valuable than listening to what somebody else did you know 15 years ago or something you know um uh, and and I think there is an element in, in in groups getting together. So you know, don't don't be uh, don't be concerned about you know mixing and and sitting around a table with people that are doing the same thing that you are, even at the same stage that you are. Because um, sharing those experiences, and this is a new thing for me in the last five or six years, because prior to that, is we share nothing. You know, go away. Anybody comes and asks us anything, yeah, go away. You know, it, you know, it's 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 very you know insular. But most of the development's still like that. There are very few people, and, and I guess other sectors are the same. There are very few people that genuinely will share without obviously an agenda. And then obviously you've got to think about well, okay, nothing wrong with the agenda, uh, or nothing wrong with an agenda if it depending on what it is. Um, so there are plenty of people. There's a few people that that that, that go around and, and do keynotes and all that. And, I take, I'll, I'll be, yeah, I'll, I'll be a little bit sort of controversial. You know, uh, yeah, the vast majority of them, I take it with a pinch of salt because they haven't all done what they're suggesting, or they haven't done it 
Um, they haven't done it with their own money, which is a key thing. Um, so if you know people who might have been in an industry for twenty years, which is absolutely great, then they might have a lot to offer. But until you've actually done something, you know yourself as, as a you know as a, a property investor and entrepreneur, you know it's on your shoulders. And if something you're doing and you've done for twenty years isn't actually on your shoulders, it's a completely different thing. It's not your money or not your responsibility. So you you, you should listen to people that are, are out there doing that. And I, I regularly mix with some real young people in the industry that are really doing some great stuff. But somewhere there, they've got somebody guiding them, somebody that they can go to just to sort of say, oh, what do you think of this? Even if it's just picking up the phone, you know. Um, so it's finding those that right support, I suppose, is, is, is the key. Just don't, you know, don't go on right move and say, look, I found four deals because the absolute majority of deals that you'll find on right move, I'm not saying there aren't any deals on there, but they'll take a lot of work to make into deals. They just won't work. You know, and you just and we see people making offers. We steal people trying to get rid of stuff now that they've they've overpaid for, you know, because they simply were encouraged to or they encouraged themselves to um, see, you know, it's it's as I say, I think if most of us, you know, I think we get a feel for when you're talking to somebody or listening to somebody, you get a feel for whether they, you know, they resonate with you or or whatever and, and, and which can be a really, really good thing. But of course, if, if if you're somebody that's got your head in the clouds, then you know the people that you resonate with probably are the wrong people you need to guide. So, I would say before anybody gets into land or development, they need to take a step back, take a real hard look at themselves, and talk to somebody that that they value their opinion uh, and say, "Should I do this?" Because when when I do, um, I've done a presentation later today. Uh, when I do presentations, keynotes, whatever you want to call them, I, I now start off with the thing is my purpose here today, this evening or whatever, is to talk you out of getting into land and development. And like your question, um, if I can't talk you out of it, then that's another conversation. But 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 because unfortunately, most people listening, most people watching whatever in, in various things, they, they will they will get burnt. They will lose money. It's, it, you know, it, it's happening all the time. Don't get spoke about so much, I suppose, other than perhaps the odd high-profile sort of situation. Mm. And, you know, going back to something you said earlier, that you need lots of time and lots of investment and lots of money. When it comes to the time frame, I know it varies from, you know, one unit to 100. It's going to be totally different and there's lots of factors. But, you know, with a with a buy-to-let, with a HMO, with a rent-to-rent, you, you can be sort of cash-flowing in a month, two months. Um when it comes to developments, what sort of time frames should people be sort of um, playing with in their head when they're planning for this stuff? Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, again, two ways, two two different sort of things to look at there. So, it's the holy grail for most people is is buying a buying a site with planning permission because it's obviously much easier. There's more certainty. So, all you've then got is the uncertainty of, of the pre construction and the build and the and the exit. Um, so uh, looking at so just say that we got ten ten unit project on site at the moment. They started on site in September, I believe, and we will be off site before Christmas, maybe may, may closer to September. So twelve to fourteen months. But the um, the pre construction on that site, and and this was delayed uh, for a, for a number of reasons, um, and, and part of the, part of that was the old Brexit uncertainty and all that sort of thing. So it was pressing the button at the right time. But pre construction on that was around twelve months, 
Um, so it wouldn't normally be that long. And we could very well end up with three months hold at the end if they're all going to be sold, which they're not. In fact, they're not all going to be sold on that site anyway. Um, so any uncertainty in the sale. So really, you, you could be, you know, on a relatively, you know, sort of small, medium-sized project of 10 units, you know, it, it, it's comfortably two years, you know, and that one we took through planning. So if we'd have brought it with planning, it would have been a couple of years. Um, but actually, it took, uh, that went through planning and that was yeah, roughly another year. So, you know, so without planning on that one, three years, with planning, two years. Yes, could it be 18 months? Yeah, possibly. But, um, you know, and of course, you're the last one to get your money out. So, uh, and, and, and invariably, you know, depending on what your skill set is, it's hard to draw any money out of the project as you go through. Um, you know, in, in terms of legitimate cost, project cost, if you like, you know, if you're a project manager, maybe you might get some project management fees. But other than that, you've still got to finance the, you know, your own, your own living um, whilst that project's going on. You know, we, we have projects, we have a project that went into legals about three weeks ago after agreeing heads of terms last February. Um, uh, and that won't be, that's a planning, that's a planning thing. So we'll probably be two years in planning on that. Uh, that's around about uh, 90 units. So that will then be a, probably a three-year project for us. Um, so that's going to be anywhere from five, six to seven years beginning to end. But that's okay. You know, we're, we're okay with that because it's what we're used to. Um, but people getting in on a smaller scale. So, yeah, I know a few people that are doing two, three, four, four units, uh, and which is great to sort of, you know, cut your teeth off. And some people will never do any more than that because actually – you can sometimes make some okay money if you pick the sites up at the right price. You know, they're still going to be 18 months, two years, you know, by the time they're initially in and, and, and coming out. And, and of course, what happens when you're a trader is is the market changes. As an investor, and, you, you know, if you buy Telets and your HMOs, I know the market changes, but it doesn't change so drastically, so quickly often. You know that, you know, if you if produce some decent units, then you'll get between X and Y as a rent. You know, and, and, and so there's a lot more certainty earlier in the process. With development, there's very little certainty all the way through the process. I mean, we work at bringing certainty in. Well, that's why we like projects with affordable housing on, because that brings certainty of, of, of income. Um, but that's that's a whole different ballgame with with, uh, um, with affordable housing. We see a lot of people come unstuck on that as well. So, you know, in these long time frames, obviously people need to be thinking about their own salaries or savings you know what is keeping them going for x many months plus x many months years for delays which inevitably happen but then if you're you know if you're using your own cash you know if you're multi-million multi-billion whatever you're using your own cash on these deals fine you're not sort of necessarily paying interest you're paying an opportunity cost because it's held for so long but most people are probably going to be borrowing uh, institutional funds from a bank, development loan, uh, or like a, a private individual's investor money, and owing them or paying them an interest. So, if you're waiting, you know, a year, eighteen months, two years, seven years, in some cases, what, like, how do you just manage the investors' payments whilst keeping yourself afloat and doing other? Like, how on earth do you keep this all going and pay an investor while you're waiting endlessly for people to sign off some paperwork, basically? Oh, yeah. Uh, again, another interesting question. So, yeah, we, we, we're probably different than some in so much as um, we don't really have a lot of investors and we have got 
we have got a few now, but we'd, we'd, we've never really had a lot. They've always been family or, you know, that the normal thing or own money or whatever. Um, so we haven't really had those. They're, they're newer issues that we're coming across. And I do, and I do an odd bit of consultancy with, with, with some scaling developers and well, some new, new ones as well. But, and, and that's the, the challenges that we look at and it's getting that. So, so, one of the one of the things we sort of say is for investors if you take the investor thing is you've got to look at it from the investor's point of view for investors unless they really now understand development development's a bad a bad thing to invest in you know so i'll I'll regularly meet people that are considering perhaps putting 25 grand in or 50 grand in with a developer and they might know them and they might be a good developer but because of all the uncertainty that you you know that we've we've already sort of spoken about and, and that it's it's not a good investment because you are taking a lot, a lot of risk. Even you know, I've got a couple of very sort of sort of friends that are, are pretty savvy as investors, and and you know, if they if they invest in a in a development project, then you know they've done all their due diligence. But the, uh, to be frank, most people don't. They they they, they do enough due diligence to satisfy themselves. Um, but generally, if you don't do enough to do diligence and, and come out the other end thinking, oh, this is a bit dodgy, then you're not really looking at development. Doesn't mean to say you won't do it, but it's it's about mitigating those risks. Um, so from from that's from the investment point of view. So from from our point of view, much much better to deal with people of if if they're, if they're putting a million quid in, um, it's not their only million quid, and they understand business and they understand overruns and they understand you know uh, that that things don't always go. So then it's all about com- communication. You know, uh, we 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 have got a a, 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 a business that that um, we're just restructuring. Um, where uh, one of the investors there, you know, he put some money in um, just for an exchange, I think it was, and that ended up being in five or six months because there was some problem with the legals or something. I can't really remember what it was, you know. But as long as you tell him, it's fine, you know. Uh, and 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 swings and roundabouts. So if if they're on a specific return, they might be say again you know, 20% return on their money, whether it's three months, nine months or 15 months, as long as what you're telling them is realistic and you are updating them, then that's okay. So they really need to be sophisticated investors, I think the expression is. Uh, anybody that's going in that hasn't invested in, in developments before, uh, you know, you, you've got to have a lot of conversations. I know there's a lot of stuff, looking, people looking at crowdfunding and all that sort of thing. And that, that might be, a you know, an, an easy, if, you, if you've got 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, that might be a much better way to, to, to put your money into developments rather than direct with a developer. Um, so, yeah, so my, like, like, like most of my things, my default setting is always no, don't do it. <laughs> Fair enough. And you mentioned planning uplift before. Uh, this is something that I don't think we've talk, spoken about much on my podcast. What is planning uplift? Uh, how yeah, how do you do it? And is it a unicorn magical strategy or can anyone do it anywhere? <laughs> uh, right, we'll take them in the order that you said. Uh, so effectively, it's taking a land asset, which could be a building, and, in, and, and giving it some sort of planning consent that actually improves the value so an uplifting value from its existing use which in for a lot of stuff we do could be uh, agricultural land it could be equestrian land um, you know that that's a lot of the stuff that we do um, and turning it into perhaps residential or mixed use and obviously the value per acre or per unit or whatever will be a lot more money so that the, the difference is is, is the uplifting value 
Um, and, but that can be done, you know, on, on, on an existing building, even even just by um, getting getting permission to, you know, extend a property by, you know, 50 percent or whatever. There is a marginal planning uplift there, you know, pay, a paper value effectively the planning uplift is. Um, and, and so what we've seen is is a, a massive amount of people enter this this part of the business believing it to be you know the what did you say the unicorn thing you know um, uh, and and actually there's a few people make a few quid out of it uh, but again i'm going to be a bit you know disillusioned a few people most don't you know even when they actually manage to get a deal uh, and they've they've signed it up in some form or other that you know they've got some sort of rights over it whether it's a whether it's a you know, um a promotion agreement for instance or whether it's a a, a subject to or even just exclusivity you know um they they end up being screwed by the end buyer um and that might be that's not, that's not fair for me to say that not all screwed by the end buyer sometimes the agreement the the value is too high as we spoke about before um or, or, or the end buyer or a combination of two as they screw them down so the the potential uplift the the mistake that people generally make is they want to take all of the value of the project out in the uplift when they sell it on to the developer. And as we've already touched on, development's quite risky and takes a long time. Why why would we put why would we buy a site for half a million pounds on the basis that our numbers say it's only worth four hundred grand? Why would we buy it at five hundred? It would have to have another good reason for us to overpay. Um, so again, this is something where we also get a lot of land agents and, and and valuers and surveyors and that involved, and they're overvaluing that site because they're trying to get the best price for their client. That's what they always stick behind. Um, but actually, you know, that's not always the case. You know, they don't always get that because somebody will come in and they'll offer a certain price, uh, and then it will fall away because they can't get the funding. It all comes about it comes down to the funding. Um, so. Is it a is it a, a magic way to make money? It it can be if you are if you are prepared to put yourself out there. You know what you're looking for, and you can connect with people. Because for for us, we we get introduced to a lot of sites now, and and the value of the site um, it could be a right move link. I mean, don't be saying got a value, and then people talk about all sorts of things. Generally, it won't have, but it could it could be. But if somebody says, "Oh, my my hairdresser's father or whatever has got a piece of land." You know, would you be interested in looking at it? That's worth a lot of money to us. Just that introduction, you know, and 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 so it can be if you're out there and you're looking for land. But if you're looking to tie it up and you're looking to go out and get the planning yourself, then that's considerable investment. So so typically, um, we will spend um, approaching twenty five thousand pounds or so an acre, um, and and that's on multi acres. Um, of getting some sort of valuable planning consent um, if it's a small if it's a small um, site with an acre and it's going to have four houses on it you could you could spend double that you know um, and, and and so so it, it it does require quite a bit of investment from somebody um, and you know obviously you, you know you need, to un- you need to understand a planning system yeah and how do you know you know if, if you're looking at different sites how do you know the likelihood of it achieving planning? Are there a few different local development plans or people you speak to, or how do you work that out? Yeah, so yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Local development plan. So it's having that local knowledge, knowing what in that location, what um, 
what what approach that the um, planning authority take. You know, are they are they a bit more pro development? Are they not? Are they pro certain type of development? Um, is there is there an active um, uh, is there an active movement, shall we say, locally, an objectors movement? You get them all over the place, and and some of them are more more organised than others because that can delay projects. Um, but actually, getting getting the planning centre, what you're going to get is understanding local policy, how they actually. Um, how they process that uh, policy, but ultimately it's knowing what planning you will get um, f- through an appeal. So every everything that we look at, we create a paper trail. Absolutely everything we do, we create a paper trail on the expectation we're going to appeal, because the local opinion is really really important. But ultimately, if they don't agree with us, and and, and you know whether it's just the local councillors, the planning committee, or the or the officers, or whatever, um, then ultimately we're looking at will this go through on appeal? That's how we assess our risk. So we know if we go to appeal, it will probably take another year longer. Um, however, we just factor that in. So every every deal we look at is will this go through on appeal? And obviously, we don't want it to have to go to appeal. But if you don't factor that in, uh, what we've seen happen quite a bit is, is people talk to a local authority and sort of think, oh, well, we'll put this in. That will get planning. And it comes out the other end. It's got planning, but it's not deliverable. So we see lots of overpromising to planners just to get planning consent. Uh, Bryn looked at one recently down in Bristol. Uh, just nine, ten units, something like that, um, and actually not a bad value. It's outside of Bristol, so not a bad value, but not not brilliant. But the style that the architect, and again, probably win an award because it looked pretty good, but it was the wrong style for the value in the area and the build cost. You know, they, they were almost like nine uh, nine detached units, but they were actually all connected. Um, so they were still terraced as such, um, and which was which would be different. And, and you know, so it, it didn't stack up. That planning is going to have to go back in and get changed because nobody on that particular scheme will be able to build it viably and keep the landowner happy with what they want out of it. You know, so. Hmm. Okay, and then when it comes to planning, planning is often viewed negatively by people in property because of. The length of time it takes, uh, how it doesn't help, you know, us build homes for people who need it, and just the general many problems that it like it brings. Um, with planning, what are your sort of top tips on, uh, you know, I guess ensuring that the planning process goes successfully, but then also how to build a relationship with the local planning office so that you know when you start doing a few of these, it starts to become a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think um, really what, what we all sort of say is you've got to be familiar with the area. So you've got to know how like you said, how that, how that local authority behaves, how they actually process planning applications, not just the officers, but what are the planning committee like? You know, um, we, we, we know there are areas where we've got some decent planning officers, um, but actually they're up against it because they've got a difficult committee, either weekly led or just so fragmented that nothing gets through. I mean, and you know, we've got one not far from us. Well, they, they just don't pass anything. You know, they'll be in special measures before long. But, you know, so it's short-term thinking for them. But, hey, you know, that's, that's, that's you know, that, that's besides the point, I suppose. Um, so it's, it's understanding, um, as I say, understanding how that works. But it's also understanding national planning policy, so MPPF. Now, we would always suggest to everybody, you've got to have a good planning consultant 
planning consultant team, consultancy team. You know, I mean, we, we've been fortunate. We've been around a long time, so we do a lot of our own in-house stuff, but we still use external consultants. You know, we will always invest in the right consultant in the right area for the right scheme. You know, I mean, we, we got one through last year on appeal after an inquiry, and we had three planning consultants working on that um, because they all got different strengths. They were all there for different reasons. You know, we had one that came in specifically to do the appeal. Um, you know, who, who, who was very good at that. Um, but we had somebody local that was fronting the scheme, was fronting the application because they had a good reputation locally. We didn't actually use their advice. They just, they just, they just put our stuff in for us for a fee. So, um, you know, so, uh, so it's understanding how it works locally, but equally got to have that support from planning consultants. But like with every other consultancy, every other expert in any industry, one consultant doesn't mean to say that one consultant's opinion doesn't mean to say that is how it is. You know, talk to three different planning consultants about the same project and sometimes they'll have completely different views. Not always, but sometimes they will. So it's making sure that you've got variety you know, around you, not just one person. I always work with this one person. Well, that's just very, very insular. You, you can't do that with any of the people that we work with. You know, there are others that we can work with and will work with uh, because they are right at the time, you know. Um, so, so it's, yeah, so it, it's good for you, for, for you as individuals, for you as developers, you as, as sort of land sources or whatever, to have a basic idea of the terminology of planning. Um, and, and to understand, you don't have to know it in detail because that's what the planning consultants are for. But actually, in order to lead the consultants, you have to have an, uh, an overarching understanding of the process, you know, um, and, and stay interested as well. So if you engage a planning consultant, for instance, and they're looking at a scheme for you, you know, don't don't just leave them to come back with the answer in four weeks or six weeks. You know, you shouldn't even take anybody on that's not prepared to actually be, you know, have you as part of the team. You're really you've got them as part of your team, but they'll often see it as the other way around. Um, so so and, and, and I think that the, the, the overarching thing for planning is embrace the system as it is. Don't sit there and moan, it's not right, it's this, it's that, it's that. You ain't going to change it. So actually, just embrace it. We actually love the planning system because we understand it. It, it gives us opportunity that other people don't see. So as, as a, for instance, um, we take a slightly different approach um, with, with planning to, to some and to a lot of planning consultants. We always use the pre-app process, always. And, and, and I've had quite a few debates with a number of planning consultants about this. Uh, and, 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 and I'll be quite sort of, Thing. they're all wrong if they don't do it you know yes there'll be the odd odd project where it's not necessary etc but generally you do it because it's all part of the paper process if you go to appeal um, and that's why we do it not because what they say is going to be that important because we should already know what they're going to say because what we actually do we produce a document which we now really see as a marketing brochure um, as so it goes into the pre-app and we give them loads of stuff loads of pictures and we actually set out all their policies for them so we make their job really easy because we do it for them now that's actually making a connection at a different level you talked about connecting with local planners do their job for them they'll connect a lot easier with you however prickly they are however awkward they are and that's one the thing that we do that not many other people do or maybe they will now um uh, but that takes a certain amount of investment. So we invest a lot of money in that early stage. And most people want to get to planning, some surety of planning, with spending as little as possible. 
So the other mistake we would say is you need to invest probably more than you the, the you thought you were going to. So say we, we, we invest we invest a lot. You know, so um, and and the other thing about the the document that we put we put forward is is don't make it too wordy. It's got a lot of policy stuff, etc. But put lots of pictures in there. All the things that the local people are going to worry about, the local planner is going to worry about. Don't miss them off because they're going to find them. So what we see commonly in 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 planning statements and design statements and things like that that go with pre apps and, and 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 applications is we're only focusing on the good bits of this project. Well, okay, that's fine. So what we will then say is, because it's human nature, is well, all this document is saying, this is the planning officer's perspective, all it's saying is how fantastic is it? So they then got to go through it all to find out what's not fantastic. So we actually, we will cover everything. If there's, if there's a policy we can't meet, we're not going to leave it out. We put it in there because it's doing their job for them. So, you know, as I say, you know, it's not the only way. And if you are you, we're fortunate because we do a lot of this internally. So the cost is, is probably significantly lower than if you were asking a planning consultant to, to do it for you. Um, but it is investing money more upfront in the planning process and, and, and you will get better results. Also, be prepared to walk away um, when it starts looking you know, okay, this 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 isn't looking so good now. You know, um, so any deals that we do will be subject to planning. They're not going to be uh, anything other than that. We'll know the, the we'll know that we're going to get at least some planning before we will actually commit to the purchase. Um, and in 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 respect of say building relationships with local authorities, uh, if you don't do it in the right way, it's a waste of time. Um, it's all about credibility because you, you you can you can build a relationship with a local authority, but personnel change, um, and, and and also with the local authority, um, the planning committee changes. So when the, when the you know every couple of years they have a you know, local government election and all that, and you could change from blue to red to green to whatever. That makes a lot of difference potentially in when that decision might get made if it's going to go to committee and how that might get made. So we do uh, we do a lot of profiling of committee members and we'll profile every single committee member uh, and we'll know so if you've got a committee of 10 or 12 um, you're only ever talking to three or four because most of them you know what they're going to vote regardless of what you say beforehand because they they have a track record they know exactly what they mean so it's 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 the influential ones and the floating ones you're talking to so these are just the little i don't know i suppose they're they're just the little five percents that people don't do but it it's what makes a massive difference uh, and again get good you've got to have a good planning thing you know um but yeah don't, don't get hung up don't get hung up on building relationships with a local authority um because um you know it's, it's great if you can that's fantastic but don't count on it um if you have done a number of projects uh, you know, of a particular sort in an area, and you're proven that's a lot different. So we've got one area where uh, we haven't finished the project yet, but we're on site. They've seen us, and they've, we've had a planning app, a pre-app go in, and actually they're quite open to us because they realise that we do invest a lot of money, and we're not just about planning uplift. Um, our 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 whole sort of strategy is based on planning uplift. Is if you go in that route, is is step one, but build out is step two. It's not it's not selling for a paper profit and you get less and land promoters, for instance, and others that are coming in to do planning uplift stuff. If the authority know that that's what you're doing, 
Yeah, they're not going to be so keen, are they, if you think about it, because they're, they're interested in the delivery of homes, not just pushing paper around and getting a paper profit for somebody. Um, so if you want to if you want to build a real connection with a local authority, you've got to be a delivery vehicle. Yeah. OK, that makes sense. And, you know, speaking of, I guess, planning and also you know, costs that you mentioned before. So, I mean, for people listening, if, if they're doing what you said you're doing there, which is, you know, offering or buying things subject to planning, how much money, and again, this obviously varies from you know site to site and, and by size, but how much money are they likely to spend on the sort of planning pre-purchase stage before they then actually can buy the land and go ahead with doing that planning? Like basically, how much money could they waste if, for whatever reason, they have to walk away? Yeah, so 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 we we'll split that in, in into into sections. So really, it's it's how much appraisal do you do before you actually uh, agree heads of terms and get into into uh, into the legals, and obviously depending on what route those legals take. Um, so we we'll do you know we do a certain amount of appraisals. We don't have to do as much as a lot of people uh, probably need to do um, before we get to that stage. Before we get to discussions about offers and things like that, and and to head to terms. Um, but we're still in house. We the, 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 I think the other thing, the important thing here is we, we it's, it's all in the terminology. Is we we don't talk about spending anymore. You know I, I, I pull myself up and it's all investing. So we're in how much are we investing in something in order to get a, a decision? Um, so we'll spend um, spend I've done it myself. We'll invest some money um, to see. Um, you know, we're looking for the no. I think ultimately we're looking always looking for the reason not to do it. Um, so initially we're looking for a reason not to do it, and if it passes the first the first test, if you like, right, okay, yes, this looks this looks uh, um, quite you know decent. And then we'll put more resource into looking at it in more detail. So we will actually then um, start start doing a little bit more around the numbers, and 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 you know we'll do a little bit more around um you know the 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 planning issues etc and and so we'll start mitigating you know or timelining stuff and and hopefully mitigating uh what the investment might be in terms of the downside uh so we will spend so just let's think about that um let's give you an example then so um let's say uh we've got a couple of sites it doesn't really matter on the size, I suppose. The scale can be just, just apportioned. Um, so we have a couple of sites in and around the eight, nine, ten acres, something like that. So they're going to end up as 80, 90, 100 units. Um, so we will we will have invested initially to get to uh, legals, to get to heads of terms. We have probably spent about a couple of thousand pounds, um, you know, and, and that's about it. But we have got a lot of prior knowledge. Um, in order to get there and then obviously through the legal process we're we're normally picking up um, the legals for both sides uh, on the, on the land deals uh, which can we will normally pay, pay for either a promotion agreement or um, a, a conditional purchase we'll be paying for the legals anywhere between a thousand and two thousand pounds but generally um, the land owner, site owners, uh, legals will be closer to five. Um, same service, um, but it's because they can. Um, anyway, that's uh, we, we can't we can't talk too long on that because I yeah I can get really bitter about that. Um, 
So at, at that stage, when we're actually to the point of we've actually got some legal rights over that, so we've exchanged a contract or an agreement in some description, we're, you know, we're, we're going to invest it about 10 grand. Um, and, and once we're at that point, then certainly if we're taking something through planning, uh, we've got one at the moment that's, uh, you know, we've had a pre-app that's just been prepared for planning. Uh, that's a smaller project. That's only 40 units and some, and some industrial stuff. Um, I think with the architect's fees, all of the um, surveys that we're having done, topographic and soil investigation. And so we invest a lot of money up front. Uh, whereas a lot of these people will have these conditions as part of, uh, of as part of a, an outline planning application. Well, we do a lot of that because it takes the uncertainty out, not just for us, but it takes the uncertainty out for a lot of people that are going to object to a development. So we can we can actually start quoting figures if they think the access is going to be dodgy and it's going to increase traffic. So we had the I think on that site they were out there last week, you know, doing all all, all the traffic surveys. So we know at that given time we know what the traffic uh, is likely to be. So again, we will we can put that out in front of them to sort of hopefully allay some of their fears. Um, so on that one, um, to get into planning, we're going to be spent yeah, 55, 60K, I suppose. And then it could be a no. Uh, it, it won't be a no, but it could be a no. Uh, we, we, we know it won't be a no, but not many people, you know, not many people will be able to have that certainty. You know, and and that's largely about the way we're going about it. But yeah, on on a smaller project, maybe a lot of the people will do smaller projects. You know, you can expect even on a single house, we know people that are ten, twelve, fifteen grand in. You know, uh, and and they still haven't got planning yet. Wow. You know? And 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 if you didn't in this situation, or even people who are losing ten, twelve grand, is it literally just a case of, okay, that's a write off, and we'll make it back on another deal? Is it just as blunt as that? Yeah, business cost. Um, you you could you can only do that. Um, you can only do that if if it is a business and you've got multiple opportunities, multiple projects on. If it's a if it's a one off project, which it often is for people, then that's hard because they're going to take that ten, twelve, fifteen grand forward. Uh, you know, to another another opportunity, another deal. So what what sometimes happens is as soon as people have invested, well, even smaller amounts than that, they can't walk away. They just can't. They just can't and won't, um, and and that's where people get into trouble. You know, on on you know relatively small deals, but also bigger deals. You have to be prepared to walk away at any time if the deal suddenly isn't good. Uh, we walked away. I think the most we walked away in the last year or so is twenty eight grand. I think um, on on one on one site. Um, that site might come back, but it's a business cost. You know, nobody wants to walk away, but if it was the right decision at the time. Then, then you know that that's it, you know, and and we we've got one at the minute where we probably invested a little bit too much in before we got the legals, where we're in at double figures probably, um, and but we will still walk away from that if 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 it doesn't get sorted out to to our thing, uh, to 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 our terms, um, because you know you just you just say you say you put it to one side and walk on, you know we we you know. It, <laughs> There are a lot of lost business costs in, in in any sector, I suppose. But you know, in, in the last two years, um, we've had um, one that we walked away from, which was a, a bigger deal and it's a multi thing. It was a hundred ish k invested. Um, one where forty seven k 
uh, and the 28. Um, they're all development. They're all development businesses, stroke projects. That you know, but that's that's. I mean, nobody wants to walk away from those. You only walk away if it's the right decision. But actually, in all those cases, it was the right decision. Um, so you you just move forward. And 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 I think one of your earlier things was, you know, can you sort of, you know, how much resource do you 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 need to do this stuff? You can't do it with no money. As soon as somebody that's experienced sees that you're doing something with no money, they've got you. If that makes any sense, then the the the, the, the um. The, the balance of power in the negotiation has gone in, completely over to them. So, I mean, I, I, I can be your best friend or your worst nightmare, depending on who you are and what you are. So we've we got people around that, you know, they've got options that are running out, et cetera, and we've advised people and stuff like that. And, and, and often they don't want to hear what we've got, got to say. Um, and, and there is no, no real uh, pleasure in getting it right sometimes. But if people would listen a little bit more, um, you know, to the to the right people, then they would save themselves a lot of heartache because it's not just the money, it's the time people invest. And and, and what we also see is that uh, when people think they're going to make 50 grand, 100 grand, 500,000 a pound or whatever, most people start spending it, even though it's possibly months or years away. And so it's the disappointment as well. And it's the oh, I've failed, it's the ego, it's all sorts of things. And, you know, unfortunately, um, too many people get into, into deals where they don't understand the planning side of things. They've, they've gone in at too high a number and they can't go back. You know, as I say, we're always always to the point is, right, if it's the wrong deal, right, it's a no now. Can we go back and renegotiate? If we can't, we walk away. And 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 no is no is the most powerful tool in your toolbox. I think is the expression that people use. You know, if you don't have the ability to say no, you will fail. Mm. That's. I'm glad you shared that with us because yeah, like that's not something that most people want to talk about. Um, but that is the harsh reality of of business, and in, and in this business, the harsh reality of doing things at the what people call the higher end or top end of development is you know, more money, more problems. And, you know, whilst you can make 10 times, you know, whatever you can on, on something way smaller, you could also lose that um, and the time and the stress and the emotion. So, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that with us because it, it it's very easy to want to get into development and very easy for training courses to tell you just how straightforward it is and you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's good and refreshing to hear, like, this you know from your perspective richard so um speaking of of training courses we kind of briefly mentioned earlier um in general what are your thoughts on maybe some of the tactics or techniques that some of these courses use to like bring people in i mean do you think they're fair and that they're going to teach a value like yeah what's your general view on them and the way they operate um well, uh, as you, you probably know, is, is we run a training academy for well, best part of four years or so. Um, and so we, we sort of know the tactics that are necessary to get what I would call bums on seats. So I've, I've got a quite a sort of a varied view. I, I can actually come down either side. Um, uh, but but I, I think one thing I sort of said before, if you are somebody that is is prepared to work hard and take what is said um you know with, with a pinch of salt or, or actually well actually does that really make sense not get carried away then a lot of the training courses will give you something you know you'll you'll get nuggets or whatever they want to call out of all of it if you are that way I, I've 
myself and Brendan and I have been on quite a lot of, of training things by different providers and things and and we always look to get something out of it some of those have been much better value uh, than than others but they've all been of value because i will justify it in some form or other equally if i was of a different mindset i could have looked at every single one of them and said oh they're rubbish because they haven't done this and they haven't done that but the, the tactics that are used to to, to be fair and, and we, we we did this and, and one of the reasons we came out of the training field was you if you don't use those tactics you don't get bums on seats and if you don't get bums on seats then you're not getting your message out to people or the other way a more cynical way of looking at it is not earning any cash you know uh whilst we can all hide behind the bit about oh we like to get our message out to people you know most people that run courses that is not their prime reason it isn't it wasn't our prime reason that wasn't our prime reason is yeah that's that's a uh, you know a benefit to, to to you know people coming on on days and weekends and all that sort of stuff um but so i understand you know that they they need to use some of this stuff to get people there i i just have a big problem with the false promises and how easy it is and as soon as anybody stands and i've been in some networking rooms and on some courses where people and, and lots of people will, 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 will get this is they stand up and say if i can do it anybody can that's an absolute load of tosh and it doesn't matter what strategy it is it could be something relatively straightforward as buy to let just because you can do it doesn't mean to say everybody can or should you know so i think it's that super positive um message that's put out there and how easy it is and we get involved in what we would probably loosely call project rescue and we've been involved in quite a number of project rescues from people that have come from the certain courses and and actually to be fair it's not or not you, you could blame a course provider but equally you know people have to take ownership for their own actions as well and where they've actually gone in and they've done stuff and you know and and you know we, where we can we help people sometimes it's too late um uh, you know we we got some on the desk at the moment where we're trying to get refinance and uh and, and different stuff to sort of so that they the very least they come out with is is their dignity and 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 you know they, they might have lost their money but at least they won't be you know, they'll come out with a clean slate you know and 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 there's just too many of those and are those all silly people and dreamers no they're not there's some really decent people there they just probably over believed uh, if there is such an expression, um, you know, and 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 I understand why people do that. But so I'm not I'm not going to you know sort of hit the course providers. Yes, there are some that are better than others. I mean, geez, there's a few out there that Christ, they should be locked up. But you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's by the by because it's all about lies and deceit, and as, as I always sort of call it, and my dad used to call it smoke and mirrors. Um, and 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 but who, how do you know who the good ones are? You know, because, you know, there's lots of been people get taken in and, and by various people and, and, and all of a sudden, that you know, they're responsible for investors losing loads of money, you know. And so actually, well, well we thought they were OK. But that comes back to something I said before, is if, if you if you do your due diligence on a developer and you don't find a reason not to not to uh, invest, then you haven't done enough due diligence. You know, because every developer out there and every development will have a reason not to invest. It doesn't mean to say you don't invest. It means you need to be aware of that, you know. Um, so a lot of the tactics that you use, I understand why they use them. Uh, and, and yeah, we, we know most of the main um, course providers and know them personally or got to know them personally. Um, and, and I would say that of the ones that we know, 
there aren't many what I would call scammers out there, not true scammers. But what I do think is some of their tactics are a bit dodgy. And, 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 and in a couple of cases, they know that's how we feel. Um, and, and uh, you know, as I say, pr- principally, that's why we, we got out of, or one of the main reasons we got out of um, the training business is because it's harder to fill rooms because the message of reality is the one that people need to hear, but it isn't the one that most people want to hear. And, and actually, as they would say, it's only my, it's only my opinion of reality. I mean, it isn't just my opinion, but that's what they will say. You know, I don't, I don't just say stuff because it's just my opinion. It's based on my team's opinion and other people that I respect in the industry. You know, behind the scenes, we all say very similar things, you know, uh, but the, not, not, out in public, not everybody ever says that. I, I can be, I'm old. Which is, which is an advantage. So you get old, you get miserable. So it allows me to be a little bit more outspoken, maybe. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, to, to an extent, um, I, I mean, say I've, I'm, I'm not a networker. And, and I actually think networking, I think you are, you're, you're quite a networker, I understand. Um, you know, um, and, and, and I, don't, I don't really get it. I actually think it wastes a lot of people's time. Now, but we justify it by, oh, well, I met so-and-so, but actually what business did you actually get out of it? And, yeah, some people do, but most people don't. And I think networking rooms are really dangerous, not just training providers. And, and, and I will say that's not just, the, uh, not just the mainstream providers, but the independents, as we now call them. There's, there's sharks in them rooms as well. I've been in some of them rooms, and there's sharks in there. You know, and I've, you know, and and they just they just change their tactics, don't they? So you know, so it's not just the training providers you got to look out for; it's uh, some of the other service providers and 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 people. Amazing, Richard. Thank you so much for coming on the TED Talks podcast. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you to see your Facebook posts that you know we've spoken about, um, or just have a chat with you, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, I guess they can connect with me on Facebook and, and, and then via Messenger, I guess. Uh, other than that, I don't know, really, to be honest. How else do I get contacted? Uh, oh, I've, got, I've got an email address, I suppose. Um, so uh, the, the one I can remember is uh, richard at yourlandpartner.co.uk. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, um, that's probably either of those. Um, and I'm more than happy to uh, you know give the benefit of my uh, experience wisdom whatever i don't know whatever you might want to call it if somebody's got you know a, a sort of you know they, they want a bit of a pointer they want a bit of, of of um a sounding board really i mean i've done a lot of mentoring and stuff or whatever you want to call it and and you know which is although i talk a lot um i, I listen a lot as well and 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 um and and I, I, it's amazing how much you can learn just by listening and actually how much I guess this is how the whole um, uh, the, the, the whole the whole business of, of um, uh, I don't know, therapy actually works is actually somebody just finding somebody that will listen to you um, and actually they come out of it feeling great and actually you haven't really done much. It's just because a lot of the people I still deal with now they know what the answers are. They just want me to sort of say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it, you it know, is, it's very very true. Amazing. Yeah. Richard, thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. A pleasure, Tej. Good to, good, to, good to be with you. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.